Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Dope Black Woman podcast, the podcast where we share stories of black excellence as part of our safe digital sisterhood. I'm Livs, and this week we're talking about women's health. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Dope Black Women podcast. Throughout October, me, Rashan, and Leanne are leading our own episodes on different topics to mark Black History Month. If you missed last week, Rashan was talking to her grandmother and great-grandmother about family. So make sure you catch up with that on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So today I'm joined by two amazing guests, Paige Nakiwu, the Youth Programs Officer at Forward UK, and Dr Jenny Douglas, Senior Lecturer at the School of Health, Wellbeing and Social Care at the Open University. Paige and Jenny have both been working on the front line, um, speaking to black women, talking about their healthcare and their um, well-being for years and you know, we, these are two people that can provide information and also research and knowledge on this area. Um, And for me, health is a really important part of that. I think that, you know, especially 2020 and what's happened with COVID has forced us to kind of realise a lot of the inequalities that exist within the health services. And I wanted to know more about how black women are being affected. Welcome both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Thank you for having me as well. Thank you for being here. Um, so the first question we always ask our guests is, what makes you a dope black woman? So Jenny, I'm going to start with you. Oh no. Because <laughs> I never think of myself as a dope black woman. Um, but some people around me do, so that's good. Um, <laughs> I guess um, it's because... Because I'm really kind of passionate on, you know, about certain issues like black women's health. And I really want to see in my lifetime some changes in terms of the ways in which black women experience health and health services. Well, I think it's great what you do and all the work you do. Just give um, people a flavour of the kind of research you do and what what you lecture in. OK, um, I lecture in public health. So at the Open University, we've had a, a module called Promoting Public Health, which is for, um, pu- for, for healthcare practitioners who want to become public health practitioners. And then about... 
2011, I set up the Black Women's Health and Wellbeing Research Network. Awesome. Paige, what makes you a dope black woman? Hmm, that's such a good question. Um, I'm a dope black woman because of the people I'm around, the people that I support, um, especially the women that I support. Um, I'm a dope black woman because I'm raised by a dope black woman. Um, my mum is amazing. My grandma's hey. amazing. Exactly. <laughs> I've got a lineage of dope black women. And um, yeah, as Jenny mentioned, I'm really passionate about um, you know, ending FGM, ending VORG, and just supporting black women to become the dopeness that they are. So yeah. Amazing. So both of you are passionate about women's health and especially the health of black women. Um, why do you think it's important that we think about both race and gender when we think of public health? Jenny, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Um, I think it's important to think about race and gender because if we look at the research that has been done in the past, the research that's been done on women's health, i.e. on gender, has often ignored the specific needs of black women. Um, and, you know, if we um, look at kind of ethnicity, the research that's been done on black and other minority ethnic communities and health has ignored the specific needs of black women. And um, even when we look at inequalities in health, the research on like um, income and poverty in health again ignores black women. So we get invisibilized. And so it's really important that, that, you know, that we actually are able to look at the, the intersection between race and gender and actually social class and sexuality and disability. But, yeah. 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 I mean, um, so like what kind of research or what kind of like knowledge would you like the public to have be more aware of when it comes to why race and gender matter when you think about public health? Um, at this moment... Um, the specific um, thing that I'm focusing on and quite a few other um, dope black women are focusing on, um, particularly five times more, um, is the um, horrendous statistics that black women are five times more likely to die in pregnancy and childbirth than white women. This is here in the UK where we have an NHS and I, I just find that statistic appalling. And it's not only appalling because um, it exists, it's appalling because it, is, it has continued for many years. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to ask you, um, I'm not going to ask your age because I'm a lady, <laughs> but this is something you've been doing for quite a long time. I mean, how much actual real change have you seen? Well, let me say um, that I worked for a project called Training in Health and Race that was set up in 1982 um, to look at inequalities in health, racial inequalities in health. And um, a researcher called Joe Larby produced a report on black women and maternity services. Right, like, this is 35 years ago. Mm. And the issues that she um, identified in that report are mirror exactly the experiences that black women are having today. Now, this is appalling. This is appalling that in 35 years, 
things have not improved for black women. They've improved for women overall in terms of um, maternal mortality, but not for black women. And in fact, our statistics are getting worse. Mm. But I mean, I know that statistic around, um, you know, that black women are five times more likely to die during childbirth. That is something I've heard before. So do you think now in 2020, do you think people are talking about it more? Do you think that, what what, what do you think needs to happen so we see real change? Um, I think people are talking about it more. Um, certainly um, the, the, the women involved in the five times more campaign have really raised the issue. Um, they set up a petition, a government petition, and there were 187,000 signatures on that petition when it closed just a couple of weeks ago. So it means the government, well, should do something about it. (laughs) I say it like that because um, even last week, um, in Prime Minister's question time, the leader of the opposition actually asked a a question of the Prime Minister and said, what are you going to do about these appalling statistics? And he fudged the question. He never answered the question. So I would be, I would, I I hope that something will happen. I really do. Mm. Paige, what about you? I mean, um, why do you think it's important to look at both race and gender when you think about public health? Um, it's really important because of lack of representation, you know, as Jenny's mentioned, especially in the medical sector, um, there's not enough research on black women's experiences in healthcare and even also the issues, the health issues and implications that they may face. So when we think about um, health issues such as fibroids or, um, you know, harmful practices that may affect um, black women or BAME women, I think those kind of issues need to be addressed in both race and gender. So it's about understanding the totality of, of a black woman, you know, and understanding that we have to represent them in these spaces um, and they have to really be provided the necessary support. Um, and I think, as Jenny's mentioned, there is a lack of that. Um, so, yeah. And you mentioned harmful practices, which um, can happen to BAME women and often do happen to BAME women. But so can you tell me a bit more about Forward UK, what you guys do, what the charity stands for? Because it links into that. Yeah, so we've been working um, for 35 years on um, issues such as harmful practices, such as FGM. So FGM, in case anyone doesn't know, FGM is female genital mutilation. um, And it's a harmful practice um, that is a global issue. So it's not just something that's happening in the far, far uh, country elsewhere. It's something that's even happening Mm -hmm. here. So we've been working um, to really tackle this issue and amongst other things as well, such as domestic violence um, and so much more. But I think, as I said, um, some of these harmful practices can actually lead to health implications. So that's why it's important that we have that kind of conversation on the intersectionality of the two. Um, Mm. And yeah, we've been doing a lot of work lobbying 
governments for 35 years. We also provide sessions um, in schools, which is really important because professionals need to be aware of how they can support people. Um, but most importantly, we provide support for women who are at risk or who have been affected by harmful practices or anything that relates to violence against women and girls. Mm. It's interesting you mentioned that the charity you work for, Forge UK, is 35 years old. And then Jenny's talking about, yes. you know, <laughs> research that she did that was 35 years old. So, I mean, how how hopeful does that make you for the future? The fact that nothing, nothing is, nothing, this isn't nothing new, really, for us, is it? Um, strangely enough, I am hopeful for the future. Um, I think that although, you know, we've been working on these issues for the last 35 years, I think that the um, COVID crisis has actually shone a light on health inequalities. And some people were kind of like, oh, gosh, this is new. And those of us that have been here <laughs> think, no, this is not new. It has, you know, it, it's just showing up all the different health inequalities. So I think that we've got, um, you know, COVID, which has, unfortunately, it's awful that it's taken a global pandemic to, to focus on these issues. I think also, um, you know, the unlawful killing of George, George Floyd and the resurrection of the Black Lives Matter movement has also shone a light on all inequalities, racial inequalities within housing, within education, which, within social um, criminal justice. It, and so I think now we've got a lot of people talking about the racial inequity and racial injustices that exist. And I think when when I think back to 35 years ago, there weren't many black women like myself doing work around health issues. Now there are lots of... There are so, I'm so excited by the number of younger black women that are actually coming up and taking on the issue because that's what we need. Yeah. yeah. Well, Paige, you are one of those young women. <laughs> yes, <laughs> doing exactly that. Um, and you, you, as you mentioned, you work with um, sometimes victims, sometimes vulnerable people. Mm. What would you like? What would you like people to know? Because as you said, you know, there's kind of this myth that it's like, oh, you know, these problems happen elsewhere; they yeah. don't happen in the UK. Um, what would you like people to know that you've learned from working at Forward UK? Um, I'd like people to learn that we need to understand each other. I think that's the first step because I think sometimes we have these preconceived notions about um, issues such as, you know, FGM and we don't really go into understanding other people and their experiences. Um, and I think working at Forward has really taught me that um, to really understand someone and understand their culture and also take the time to appreciate them for who they are. And when we're thinking about survivors of FGM, there's so much more than the than the practice that they've experienced. Um, the survivors that we support, they've become amazing dope women um, who advocate on these topics. And now they're, you know, talking to members of their community to really create that change. And that's why, like, as Jenny said, I'm so hopeful that, young women and even young men are going to get involved to really see a, a huge change um 
But I think we have to just take that time to understand each other and listen. And as we're doing today, it all starts with a conversation. I've learned the power of a conversation um, in my time with Forward. So I just think it starts off there. Um, and we can really make a change if we just have that discussion. Sometimes it sounds a bit awkward and uncomfortable because let's face it, we're talking about a genitalia, but I think it's necessary. Yeah, so I'm very hopeful. Mm. Yeah, well, it's interesting you touch on um, that it can be awkward and uncomfortable because one of the questions that I think is really important to ask you is, you know, how, what actually is FGM? Like if you could talk through practically what it is and why it happens, because I think a lot of people don't actually know that. Yeah, okay, so FGM is the partial or total removal of the female genitalia for a non-medical purpose. Um, And it's a cultural practice. So this is something that's been happening for centuries, um, decades, centuries, and long, long, long ago. Um, It's usually practiced on girls from the age of five to 13. Um, And the reasons vary. For some communities, it's about aesthetics. So it's about the look of the vava. For some communities, it's about um, religion. But it's really important to emphasise that there is no religious obligation in any text. Um, And then also, it's mainly sometimes practised because of the idea of controlling women's sexuality, which is something that we all kind of know about in our in our culture in our day-to-day and as I mentioned before this is something that is happening in the UK um although it's still a global issue as well so in a nutshell Mm. um that's what FGM is yeah and what do we know about um the numbers but also what kind of communities are most affected yeah so um the numbers in the UK are around 140,000 are at risk or wow. are, have been affected by FGM. Um, so yeah, that's a huge number. And that really does make you think about how much we really need to um, support those who are at risk or who, who are um, survivors. Women of colour are at risk of FGM. Like there are certain communities uh, for example, in sub-Saharan Africa that are at risk of FGM because of like cultural ideas. But it's still something that actually does happen within um, white spaces. But the thing is, is that because we don't have that discourse, um, sometimes we have our own um, preconceived notions that, oh, this is something that's only happening within African communities, for example. And it's not something that we should care about because um, it's it's not happening to us. I mean, when I do um, sessions in schools, a lot of the time you're in, you might be in white spaces. And for me, I always say it's it's all of our responsibility because at the end of the day, especially in the UK, we are in a multicultural society. So even if we're not in a in a group that's affected by it, we still might have a friend or you know, someone that we need to support, our neighbour. So I think it's really important to emphasise that it's all of our responsibility to really learn a bit more and also support those who 
are at risk or who are survivors of this. Yeah. So what could someone practically do if they if, if they knew a young woman in their life who had been affected or if they knew a young woman in their life who they think is at risk um what can someone practically do in that situation um i think it as i said it is sensitive so mm. um i would suggest being a bit cautious of the language that um that you use when you're talking to someone who you might think who is at risk or who may actually be at risk um so sometimes you know when we're having conversations you can say oh this is terrible and this is this and that can actually make someone feel like they don't want to talk to you they feel ostracized um and and imagine this is something that your culture has told you to do you know or let's say a family member it's been something that's been happening for years so for someone to come and tell you don't do this it can be very it can sound condescending for some people so I think it's important that we if we're having that conversation with someone that we care about that we kind of angle it in a way that is comforting and that we we're we're there to to give them support um I would definitely recommend like signposting them to to charities and organizations that can really support them so for example forward uk of course um because we we can have that conversation that might be a bit awkward for for another person to have but one thing i'd say as well is that we don't really realize that um ideas such as controlling women's sexuality they actually perpetuate harmful practices so you know when you're having those conversations with your friends about those kind of topics when we dismantle those kind of patriarchal ideas we're actually dismantling harmful practices so i think that's mm. actually a good step as well um when we're having these conversations when we're listening to to podcasts and when we're really like engaging in dismantling these ideas that's kind of actually how we're supporting women but i would definitely say signpost them to a supportive service and also tread carefully and support them yeah um jenny one of the things that paige mentioned there is you know that there is there can be a lack of understanding of these cultures there can be a lack of understanding of why this even happens in the first place and then you know therefore how to offer help and a solution have you noticed that be a trend across public health in general when talking about black women that there's a lack of understanding a lack of communication and that's one of the reasons why black women suffer um i've noticed um that that health professionals will have stereotypes about black women and also they may try, try and homogenize us you know so that you know so they think that we're all the same and you know and you know th some health professionals don't you know uh, don't understand the differences between different caribbean countries and different caribbean communities and different african countries and african communities and i think that that you know there are cultural differences and health workers should be much more aware of that i'm not saying that I'm not saying that those cultural differences are sort of like set in stone, 
because over the you know the certainly the years I was born in the UK, um, over the years that I've been here, there you know the 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 distinctions between different Caribbean communities and different African communities are not they're not so distinct, um, because um, because of the conversations and the interaction between different African and Caribbean communities. Um, and, um, and, and that is where I think we need to have these conversations about women's health and to exchange our understanding and to exchange our kind of knowledge. Um, but I think increasingly um, African-Caribbean communities are actually becoming very mixed. I don't know whether that's mm. your experience, Paige. Yeah, yeah, certainly, definitely. Um, yeah, we're definitely coming together to really see whether we can be represented correctly. And even like just what you mentioned about um, the idea that we're just all the same. Um, yeah, that is definitely something that a lot of the women we work with do experience. And it's a shame because we're all different. We have similarities, but we're all different. So, yeah. And I think that also um, with, within these stereotypes, if we talk about black women and maternity services, because um, like health workers have stereotypes about black women in, in childbirth, they yeah. don't listen to black women. Yeah. And they have this notion that black women can like experience and survive more pain. Yes. So mm. when black women say that they're in pain, health workers sometimes just ignore them sometimes just don't take any notice um and you know we need to i don't we need to to get more awareness amongst health workers and these are predominantly white health workers mm -hmm. but there are also black health workers black midwives who may also have this assumption about you know black women so you know we have a lot of work to do we have a lot of conversations that we need to have. This is the Dope Black Women podcast. Jenny, how would you say that um, black bodies are treated? Like, or what has your research told you about the way black bodies are treated? Because I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, some black women feeling like they're not treated as a woman, almost, that they don't have the same issues as a white woman. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, what would you what would you say could make a difference then? Um, I think that uh, I think that we need to have much much clearer policies within the the health service for health workers, both midwives, health visitors, nurses, hospital nurses. Um, and and I think also that people should get tr training within their basic training. So when you are training to be a nurse, when you are training to be a midwife or a health visitor, it is part, it's an 
important, integral part of your training. Um, there are lots of things that health workers just don't seem to know. For example, um, what happens to our skin when we are, um, you know, when we are suffering illness. Um, you know, they've been taught to recognise symptoms in white skins. Yeah. But they don't know how to recognise those symptoms in black skins. And I mean, I, I had this um, uh, quite recently with a relative and a paramedic said to the relative, is, is his skin grey? Has it gone grey? I was thinking grey. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't really go grey and she couldn't think of any other way to describe it mm. so you know we really need to be it, it's really simple things like this yeah now I've seen as well recently people talking about skin conditions and black skin and how people don't recognize it the same way because it doesn't it doesn't look the same as if you saw something on pale skin and therefore you know doctors don't know how to treat it necessarily. That's right. Yeah. And I think also just in terms of our skin, you know, because a, a lot of black people have very sensitive skin. And, you know, um, even some of the, the prescribed medications we are given to put, you know, to put on our skin can actually be harmful to our skin. Mm. Um, Paige, I want to ask, you know, I want to go back to this thing about um, how FGM in some cases is used as a way of controlling a young woman's sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, do you think, is it the case that, you know, we just don't talk about women and sexuality enough? Like even something like the word vulva, yes. a lot of people still haven't heard of um yes. or wouldn't use it correctly. Yeah. Um, do you think, is there just so much um, stigma around women and their sexual organs anyway that makes this a difficult conversation to have yes absolutely um there's just not enough discussion even about as you mentioned about the female anatomy and just about the vulva and the functions of the different parts of the vulva and even when you know we're doing sessions there are professionals that get a bit uncomfortable when you use that term and it's it it's disappointing sometimes because it we need to talk about it because that's a part of, of our body and that's a part of who we are. Um, and again, like when we think about how we discuss sexuality, um, I think there is still that sense of not talking about it or not being aware of just the choices that you can make as, as a woman and as a black woman. Um, and also, you know, there's so much in that conversation, consent and all sorts of things. But if we don't have those conversations, we're going to learn it in an unsafe way. Um, or we're going to perpetuate our own myths and ideas. And then that's when um, sometimes harmful practices can come in. So I think we have to continue to have that conversation. Um, yeah, and just continue to be aware. And I think also like what we've been talking about, about women's health um again there's a lack of understanding of uh, if if this happens to me let's say my cycle is painful um and that's really bad what should i do you know like just conversations like that um 
those are kind of intergenerational discussions that we should be having in our community. But unfortunately, there's still that shroud of social stigma that's attached to these kind of topics. And it's a shame. Um, But in forward, we do our best to really open up the conversation. Um, And as we say, sometimes it's uncomfortable at first, but once you start, it it gets better. So, yeah. I am... I think that we need some more kind of health, public health and health promotion resources within black communities. Um, I know of the Black Women's Health Imperative in the USA. And for example, they've produced resources for mothers and daughters to talk together. Um, I don't know about about your your mothers, but, um, you know, I come from a, a kind of quite traditional Caribbean family. And my mother never really talked to me Mm. about... She would never say the word vulva. (laughs) (laughs) All she would tell me to do is that I've got to wash it and keep it clean and keep people away (laughs) from it. And that is about the extent of the conversation that we ever had. And we need to have much, you know, much more discussion between, you know, intergenerational discussions. Um, Mm. um, You know, even uh, I did some research around menopause and because of the way in which migration has affected our communities, um, my mother, you know, say came, she came in the 50s as part of the Windrush generation and then she stayed here till she was retirement age and then she left. (laughs) Left England. And um, so when I was going through menopause, I actually didn't have like my mother around to say, is this what normally happens? I didn't have any of my aunts because all my aunts who were here when I was growing up, they all left and went to North America too. Mm. So and I think that migration kind of can affect us without us thinking very deeply about it because you know some of us will have migrated you know from the Caribbean or Africa and have left our older family behind yeah and so we don't have the scope for those intergenerational conversations and they're not the conversations you're likely to have on Skype or um, (laughs) WhatsApp yeah yeah I mean even I would say I don't remember my mum ever having a conversation with me about you know, about my vagina Mm. and about how I should take care of it and about what it should look like and what it should smell like. I don't remember any of those conversations. Um, Paige, what about you? What was your, what was your relationship with your mum like when it came to talking about that kind of thing? Funny enough, I'm really grateful that we have a very open um, relationship. Like we have spoken a lot about those things and, and even like the more that I've, been advocating the more we've had more conversations about um these kind of things and yeah it it's sometimes uncomfortable but I think I'm quite an inquisitive person so I always had the questions for my mom and I guess she'd have to go and look it up or go and like find something to answer me with um but I I think you know it's it's really valuable now that um in our education um for young people we're actually talking about these kind of things in more depth. So now um, the sexual and relationships guidance for PSHE, it's now really involved and, and you know, brought up all these kind of issues. Um, and when I'm teaching it in schools, I think you just see children really understand a bit more and ask those questions that they might not get 
to ask at home and maybe they'll go back and ask their parents so um Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree that we should have, you know, more health professionals should provide services and resources. But I'm hopeful that hopefully in our education sector, um, we can do more to start those conversations as well. Um, and, you know, another another big issue when it comes to women's health, something that isn't spoken about, not nearly enough, is is period poverty. Yeah. And I know this is something, Paige, that some of the women you work with suffer from and again it's an issue that can go unspoken about in black and brown communities um so for anyone who's not familiar what what actually is period poverty so um it can range from different different things but in totality it's basically just not having the access to certain things such as sanitary towels or um, things that can basically support your menstrual cycle. Um, But also it's just about even accessing health care services. That's actually also a part of period poverty as well. So um, I know sometimes we just think about, you know, not having a pad, for example, but that's not the totality of it. It's also about, um, you know, certain groups not being able to, actually access the best medical care Um, because as we spoke about um, black women sometimes they are affected by issues such as fibroids or they're affected by endometriosis and things of that nature and again they're like shunned upon and um, they're not able to access services so that can actually be linked to period poverty as well Um, and when we think about Uh, the link between all the intersectionality of FGM and periods or period implications, um, there's not enough discussion on that because those who are survivors of FGM, um, they can have health implications of having really bad periods um, and other period-related illnesses. So I think it's it's so much more than just not having a pad. (laughs) It's so much more Mm. than that. Yeah. Jenny, how much do you worry about um, the way young people now talk about our vaginas, basically? I mean, like, um, you know, one of the things that I've been seeing a lot lately that I find really worrying is there's this whole huge business almost now for, um, you know, things you can take to make your vagina either smell nice or taste like whatever, you know, things you should be washing with your vagina. There's a whole you know, market now of how you should be treating it. And I think a lot of young women are confused. Um, so, I mean, how worried about are you about, you know, people that provide um, medical information when they have no idea what they're talking about? I think it's, um, it's, it, is, it is an issue where, um, you know, young people are talking to each other about health issues, particularly around, you know, sexual and reproductive health issues, when they don't have the correct information themselves. And I think it's very easy to um, to pass on misinformation, which is why, you know, as Paige was saying, we need to do much more in schools. We need to make sure that, you know, that young people actually have the correct information. And then we, we should have, I mean... I'm going to say in the olden days. (laughs) When I worked, I worked for a health promotion unit in the 80s and 90s. 
And, you know, there we had information for, you know, not just young people, we had information for people on different health issues. And in the health promotion unit that I worked in in Sandwell, um, we actually had funding from the Department of Health to produce videos for black women. Uh, as I say, I'm going back now, you know, 30 odd years, but we've produced videos on fibroids, hysterectomy and cervical screening. And it's like those have come and gone. Mm. And yet the issues still exist, still persist. Yeah. So we really need a resource to be producing these materials and resources for for black women for and for the whole age range. Um, we know that um, black women are more likely to to be offered hysterectomies. Black women are more likely to have fibroids. Um, black women are more likely to have certain kinds of breast cancer, which are more aggressive. And, you know, we need, black women need to be able to talk to health professionals or health promoters about this. So it's yeah. a real, um, we have a real gap in services for black women. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, Paige, um, the the young women that you speak to who are affected by these kinds of issues, I mean, what do they tell you about the way they want to be treated or the way they want to be seen? Um, It's very interesting because we've actually just um, finished a campaign on these kind of topics. Um, And what really came out was just your everyday experience. So, for example, um, how young women access... Um, healthcare services and also like how medical professionals interact with them when they talk about these kind of like health implications that they might be experiencing and one thing that we really what what really came out from the discussion was just about self-advocacy when you're in these kind of you know spaces where you're having to talk to a doctor about something you're going through, let's say it's a period-related illness, um, and the importance to just kind of have that confidence to say that, look, this is what, this is a condition I think I have, or this is a condition that I'm suffering from, and I actually need your help, um, and not just something where it's like, not from a standpoint of emotions, but from a place of really like gaining back that power um because let's face it when you're sick it's very difficult to advocate for yourself because you it, you mm. don't even understand why you're doing it because at the end of the day you feel like this is your right this is your right to have healthcare but unfortunately i think we have to push that in our communities and say look you actually have to request to your doctor and there's actually a procedure involved and one thing that i really stress um to young people is looking at the um, NICE guidelines. Um, so the NICE guidelines are basically like the medical professional guidelines that um, medicals, medical professionals are meant to, to, to have so that they can actually investigate procedures and stuff. And if you check, you can literally see the steps that your GP or whoever mm. can actually take to support you. So that's one thing that I really, really stress, like looking at things like that, researching with mm. with a, a clear mind, of course, 
um, and just taking that step. So if you were a black woman, yeah, that would be a good way of seeing, you know, did my doctor actually act the way that they were supposed to and was I discriminated against? So that's a really, that's a way that some people could, could gain back their power by being aware of what their rights are. Yeah, and you can hold them to account. And you can say, look, this is this is what I need and this is what you should do. <laughs> um, and hopefully you can see a change. Um, mm. Yeah, so I think young people really want to be heard, actually. They just want to be heard. They want to be seen, especially young black women. Um, and that's what they need now, you know, especially given everything that has happened this recent year. So, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that that black women want to be heard, they want to be respected, and they want to be believed. Yeah. Because often health professionals just don't believe us. Yeah, yeah. Jenny, um, just to follow up what Paige said about the nice guidelines, what other practical advice would you give to black women about you know if they think that they have been discriminated against based on their gender or their race or both? Um, what advice would you give of what you can actually do in that situation? I think that, um, first of all, I would advise that if you, if, if you can, if you're seeking treatment or if you're in hospital, um, that you actually take an advocate with you. And this mm. is what I've suggested to, to friends. Because often if you are ill yourself, yeah. it's really very difficult, you know, to, to advocate for yourself. Yeah. Um, and then, and then to take um, and to take notes about what's happening, mm-hmm. and then you know you can complain um, either th- uh, through the, the the NHS. You can complain to the hospital. You can complain to the health centre. You you can you know there are mechanisms, and increasingly there are mechanisms for patient complaints. So protect yourself by getting some kind of evidence, whether that's note based or, you know, can I can I get a copy of that form or whatever yeah. it might be like empower yourself by getting evidence. Um, I was saying that in, in this age of technology, um, I, I know we shouldn't really be recording conversations, but, you know, most of us have our, our mobile phone with us. Yeah. 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 Are there any other um, sources or charities you guys would like to point out that you think people should be aware of? Yeah. So other than um, obviously Forward, um, iRise is also a really good organisation that works um, on tackling period poverty. Um, and yeah, there's so many um, other charities that really work to provide services, especially relating to like domestic violence um, such as refuge, and we know that that's been such a huge issue. Um, it's risen because of COVID nineteen. So, I think we're here um, at Forward to really, really support um, young women, and we also provide opportunities for young women. Um, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Forward. You know, really pushing me to 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 be the woman that I've become. So, I think. It's really great to to have somewhere to feel empowered um, and we don't have those spaces sometimes. So I would really, really stress um, checking out Forward UK. Um, We're on all social platforms um, and we're here to support and also just make you empowered as possible. (laughs) 
amazing. Jenny, is there any um, any sources that you think are impor- important to be aware of? There are um, some sources like, um, but they're based in Manchester, the Caribbean and African Health Network, which again, um, you know, can support kind of individuals and provide advice and information. There was, and I'm not sure whether what whether it still exists is the Afia Trust in London that again worked with um black communities around health issues um but i think this is an area that is really lacking mm. that we don't i think we we should have a national organization that is a working a, for the health concerns and health needs of black communities. I mean, I would say for black women, but I think perhaps it needs to be for black women and for black men. Um, because so often black women um, are the, you know, they're the people who, who will support men anyhow, you know, when men have health issues. But I think that we should have a national organisation that does that work and that has um, kind of outreach across the UK I think we're really lacking in that. Cool. Um, I think that's a good place to end. There's so much information in there. So thank you so much, guys. Um, I really appreciate it. I know that recording a podcast like this isn't always the easiest, but um, there was loads of really strong information in that. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Really appreciate it. And we hope that you have found it helpful and learned a lot of new information. Um, make sure you subscribe and listen to our weekly podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. On Instagram, we are at Dope Black Women One. And on Twitter and Facebook, we are just Dope Black Women. Until next week, stay blessed and unapologetically black. Blackity black. Blacktastic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta say it with some energy, like blackity black, black tastic. Black tastic. (laughs) Blackity black. (laughs) When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. 
Code PROGRAM.